Hi, everyone. I'm Jill Smokler, and I've got issues. I've got a ton of issues, actually, and I'm pretty sure you do, too. And I'm definitely sure we'll both feel better after talking about them. And that's what this podcast is all about. So let's get started. One of the most common themes that came up when we asked for issue suggestions from you guys was cheating. Fantasizing about cheating, wondering whom of your friends are cheating, feeling guilty or not about cheating, it's definitely something that's on people's minds. Susan Shapiro-Barish is the writer of 13 nonfiction women's issue books and has been researching female infidelity for over 30 years. Her latest book, A Passion for More, explores affairs from the female perspective. Susan started out by breaking down the different types of affairs that she sees. Well, we have empowering affairs. And this is really reflective of women in a culture that now gives them a lot more power and the currency that men have always had. And so they can go on business trips, they can have boy toys, they can do as they wish in a very similar way to what society has always sort of allowed for men. Mm -hmm. Then we have self-esteem affairs. And this is really about women feeling invisible in their marriages. Maybe you've been married five years, 10 years, 15 years, you've raised children, maybe there are no children in the marriage, but for some reason, the women feel really not noticed, not understood, and not really important enough. And so Mm -hmm. the lover gives the women what they're not getting in the marriage. The third type of affair is a sex-driven affair, pretty self-explanatory. But what we're really looking at is women who, again, are trading in a currency men have always had available to them. And so what they're doing is they're saying, you know what, I have a lot going for me in this marriage, but sex isn't one of the ingredients that's still there. And so these women are not emotionally attached to the men. They really want sex, and they don't last very long with one lover. The minute it gets more complicated, they're out of there. And then finally, the poignant kind of affair in in my study is the love affair. And this is really something that none of us is able to control, where we walk across a room, and there's this man. You go to a reunion, and there's the old boyfriend You go to some workplace event and there's the guy who used to work in your company who you really had a thing for. And it has a life of its own and it's very triangulated. So it's the husband who seemed, or longstanding partner, who seemed really great and everything was fine. And then this thunderbolt that really changes the equation. Hmm. Are any of these affairs, affairs that could actually improve a marriage or are they all detrimental to one? No, they really are very much a female journey. And the affair is really about what a woman longs for. And so many of the women, a majority of the thousands of women whom I've interviewed for this study, this is a 30-year study. And the new edition is really reporting, as I think I, you know, I make very clear in the book, women from their 20s to their 80s. So we're talking about, you know, many decades of longing and yearning. And so the affair is sometimes an improvement and women are very good at keeping it going. So they are still the good wife, the good mother, even the good grandmother. And then on the side, there is the lover. It's compartmentalized. 
And so that actually improves the primary relationship, the committed relationship. For others, mm-hmm. it's a wake-up call. They meet this other man, they see, and by contrasting and comparing what they don't have in their marriage or longstanding relationship, and they leave. And they end up, you know, sometimes with the lover. But in my study, only 35% of the women end up with their lover, but about 50-50 stay or leave their marriages after the affair. And that's really kind of very close to to what the divorce rate is in America right now. Yeah, I was just going to say, so mm-hmm. your chances of getting divorced, whether you have an affair or not, are not greatly right. different, which is interesting. Are we susceptible at certain ages to specific types of infidelity, or do they each apply to any age and stage that we're at? There are very few women in my study of any age who have told me that their lover is similar to their husband. Hmm. So what each of these women is looking for is a very different experience. So if your husband is a truck driver, maybe it's that professor in your continuing ed class who really, you know, something very cerebral. If your husband is very intellectual, then maybe it's a very it's a very different kind of guy, the trainer or someone who's really, you know, someone in your bike group or your, you know, mm-hmm. on, you know, you're biking on weekends. So women are really looking for what they don't have. That's why when we refer to the categories, sex-driven affairs are for the women who really don't get enough sex or have or aren't happily. Satis, you know, satisfied. So the, the women of all different ages are looking for what's missing in the primary relationship. And it's not so much age-related as about a yearning that women have at all different ages. Mm-hmm. I'm single and on dating apps, and it seems like everybody out there is either polyamory or ethically non-monogamous or just something that isn't a traditional um, example of a relationship or marriage. Um, Has that had any impact on the number of affairs? It seems like it's much more out in the open now than I have ever experienced it being. It's much more out in the open. And women still choose to keep this a secret because there's always the risk reward. And the risks are great. You know, some women are just in a partnership, a longstanding committed partnership because of the children and marriages as well, or, you know, marriage or a longstanding monogamous relationship is what we're talking about here. And what the women are seeing in, in their lives is that it's wise to keep it a secret unless they choose to reveal it and renegotiate mm-hmm. the relationship or explain why they're leaving and what they realized they weren't getting. So women are still keeping it. I know you're saying on these dating apps that it's obvious and it's announced, but we are still in our culture. And the message in our culture is that marriage and commitment and everlasting love is of great significance. It's almost a prize. And women are real. So, you know, women whom I've spoken with, most of them are very traditional, conventional women. I don't think 
any of them walk down the aisle saying, I wonder when I'll have my first affair. Mm -hmm. It really plays out as life plays out for us. And so the, so the experience, the experiences are that they've made a vow, a commitment, a promise to someone, and yet they are having these affairs. So a little different than what you're describing, where people are saying, here's full disclosure. Mm -hmm. And and I do believe that in our culture, based on my research, that, um, well, I I know I just did a study recently where 80% of the women whom I, you know, reached out to, a very diverse group of women. And I want to add that in this book, the women are very diverse in terms of race, ethnicity, level of education, social strata, where they live across all across the country. And 80% of them said that, you know, they believe in romantic love and they would like to have, you know, a love-based relationship that's everlasting. I assume the vast majority of people who are having affairs are not open about it, but that they also need some type of outlet because keeping secrets is, as we know, detrimental to everything. Um, what is the responsibility that the affair haver has to her friends in terms of bringing them into the affair in a way? Because it's that's thinking about the confidant, right? The person I'm thinking about the confidant, just sort of the responsibility that you're putting on the confidant, and how unfair that may be, um, and how just what it looks like to be that that person who is being confided in, who may not want this information at all, and then you're sort of putting the secret on them as well. I almost all, always ask my interviewees. Who, who did you know? With whom did they speak about this affair in keeping it a secret? And how did that work? And many of the women, especially younger women, told their mothers. And women turning 35, 40, 45, who look in the mirror and say, Is this all there is? You know, the children are asleep, the husband's watching football, they're feeling like life is passing them by. They have confided in their mothers, aunts, mentors, and but interestingly, a generational, you know, multi generational situation in terms of confidants. And they've said that they've had support. And one mother, oh, this is a recent interview, one mother said to her daughter, I wish I had done that. It would have really illuminated things for me. On the other hand, I also think it's tricky because we live in a couple society, right? To be coupled is to somehow be winning, quite a societal message, and partnered, coupled, married. And so the women with whom I spoke are very careful not to confide in their sister or best friend if they seem happily married. And then finally, a few interviewees said that when they confided in their best friend, their best friend said, hey, twins, I too mm-hmm. am having an affair. Mm-hmm. They're really rampant. There, there are so many, and we're talking, especially after the pandemic and during the pandemic and cyberspace affairs and emotional affairs and Zooming and being in a place where you don't go out much. And somehow reaching out to that person saying, well, life is scary and the world is is afraid of this pandemic. 
I really think now I better act on that longing. So I've heard a lot Mm -hmm. of interviews like that with women of all ages. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting from the mother saying, oh my gosh, I wish I'd had that. Um, Right. And I can relate to that because in my marriage, I never had an affair, but in retrospect, I think I almost should have because I think Mm -hmm. it would have enlightened me to how dysfunctional my marriage was. And I think it would have given me a reason to get out of it sooner. Um, So it's a weird position to be in to almost say I regret not having affairs, but are there times when affairs have a positive outcome? Sure, because 45% of the women in my study told me that the lover was really a catalyst to leave. And what you're seeing, you missed experiencing is what they are experiencing, where the lover Mm -hmm. sheds light on what has not been there, the kind of affection or the kind of sex or the kind of emotional contentment that's been missing in the marriage. And now they see it through the the experience with the lover. Mm -hmm. And so the lover is the catalyst to leave. And there are other women many of them, yeah, 60% who's in my study, who say that the the lover is really an escape, that it's something, you know, just for them. They own this. They own the precious hours with the lover. It has nothing to do with other parts of their life. And that's very freeing for these women. I can only research men through the the women's voices, because I only interview women for any of my nonfiction. Mm-hmm. So about 50-50 stay and leave. We talked about that. 45% say that the lover is the catalyst to leave. 60% say the lover is an escape, you know, something just for them. 35% of the women end up with their lover. And of course, you know, a lover to husband or longstanding partners, you know, apples and oranges. But what's most striking in my research is that 90% of the women feel entitled to the affair and do not have guilt or regret. And what they're saying is, this is what my reality is in my marriage or longstanding commitment. And this lover has shown me so much and has been about who I am, not as a wife, not as a mother, not as a daughter, not as a friend, as my very personal self. And Mm -hmm. so those women say they're not sorry. They're not regretful. It's about their own journey. And what's interesting is I interviewed young women who they were engaged or they were about to move in with their partner and then get engaged or they were just married and they were still with a lover. So in my latest research, I was really struck by that, by how really able to justify the lover in in terms of young women also, because in our in our society, you know, youth is really associated with a kind of pure attitude and you know, our ambitions are so encouraged by the culture, you know, as we're raised as good girls, so we're good girl, you know, we're good daughters were good wives or partners and good mothers, good grandmothers, if we're lucky, you know, and that's the trajectory of the female life for decades. And women today have more earning power and they have, uh, look, 
there's not, there, there will never be equality for women in our society in, until there's equal pay for equal work in a capitalistic society. But there have been so many great gains for women these last 30, 40 years. And with it comes a sense of exploration and self-care. And that's really what we're talking about. Are affairs, by definition, always a secret? They certainly are because our puritanical society expects that we cling to if we need, if need be. And if it's easier, then you don't have to cling. You just, you know, stay fixed with this monogamy myth. And a part, a part of this is longevity. A part of this is just the hungry heart. But we, yeah, secret, and also secrets because women are so judged. Hmm. And women have always been judged, not only as wives or committed partners, but as mothers. Oh my goodness, so much mother blame, so much mom judgment. And hmm. so our, our culture is really keen on finding fault with women. And when I did my study on female rivalry, women also can be harsh toward other women. So a so the secret, and then I did a whole study on why women lie, and the you know the lying is the behavior, and the secret is the cause for the behavior, and an affair would be at the top of that heap of mm. secrets and lies that women do mm. in order to present as perfection in the good girl, and in order to avoid judgment. So yes, affairs are always a secret until they're not, and women are really good at that. Like if you confess to a girlfriend that you're having an affair, does that make the affair less exciting? I don't think it has anything to do with the nature of the affair. I think that we, by nature, often need to confess or confide in someone. And the person with whom you talk to about your affair is really critical. Okay, we have a couple questions that we got from our Facebook group, which I am curious to hear your response to. And one of them was, my close friends, parentheses, our couple friends, confided to me that she's cheating. Now I feel like I'm stuck in the middle and don't know WTF I'm supposed to do about it. What would you tell this person who feels like she's now holding a secret and doesn't know what the fuck she's supposed to do with it? She should really talk to the person who told her her secret. And she should say to her, you know, we're couples friends and you've put me in this terrible position. Clearly it sounds from her question as if she was very comfortable before she knew it. And they were just in a very different sphere. And um, I think she needs to really talk to the one, her friend who's having the affair and explain how unhappy she is to know about it. Mm -hmm. And that she now can't even probably talk to her own husband about it and tell the friend that if they're going to stay friends, she might really need some kind of wall. She doesn't need to know anything more about it, but it's very troubling because you're asking, you're confiding your secret and asking for your friend's morality and understanding to back your secret. And mm -hmm. they're all together. 
So she's really mm-hmm. in a pickle, but the person I say to talk to is the friend who confided. Yeah, that makes sense. Because it is a very unfair position to put mm-hmm. somebody in when there's mutual friendships and layers. Um, oh, yeah. I yeah, mean, it, it really is making what they held dear precarious. And, and it's also, um, it must feel for this woman who reached out to us just now, it must feel like it's contaminated it. Mm-hmm. And I think that she needs to talk to the friend and say, look, here, here's what you did. And what do we do with it? And, and see what they mm-hmm. can work out. Very mm-hmm. tricky stuff. Yeah, no, it is tricky. Um, okay. How about this one? The only thing keeping me from having an affair are the 30 pounds of baby weight that I'm holding on to. <laughs> Do I need to worry about that? Um, what would you say to someone who just isn't feeling body confident and feels the need to seek that out from Well, what's interesting ab- about this comment is that it really falls into the category of women who have self-esteem affairs. And feel that they're not really, you know, admired or, or feeling like themselves. And then the affair makes them feel alive and appreciated. Mm-hmm. But there, from this question comment, there's a lot of struggling because the first thing to do is to wrestle with how you feel about yourself and then look at your marriage and mm-hmm. then, or a committed partnership, like, you know, 30 pounds of baby weight, you know, or baby gain, you know, post after, right. She's saying it was after the baby's born. Um, I think that that's so personal and really muddies how you even feel about yourself before you, you know, and then why an affair? Are you unhappy with your husband? Or are you unhappy with yourself? So there's a lot to figure out. But it really falls into, you know, one's self-esteem and how one perceives herself. Mm -hmm. What surprised you the most as you were doing your research? The the ages of the women, how many women really answered my ads who were young into their 80s, as I said, and just how determined women are to have the affair if, as I said before, if they so choose. The, the skill in which you keep the secret, the time in such busy lives was really striking to me because so many of us are multitasking. You know, we work and we have children and we do have a husband or a partner and we have, you know, parents. And many of these women are sandwich generations. You know, they have elderly parents and they have their children and and so they're really bit they're very busy and yet they can find the time for the lover. So mm-hmm. that was really very striking to me. Is there anything else that you feel like we haven't touched on, Susan? I would like to mention one thing, and that is yes. this is a 30-year study. And when I first did my research, it was so long ago, you know, I put ads in newspapers all around the country, put a hotline into my home. And a lot of my friends said to me, how could you write a book like this? And I said, I neither condemn nor condone. I know I report as a journalist. But what, was, what has been so interesting is through these 
30 years. There's always fiction. There are movies. There, um, I remember when the book first came out, it was the same time that The Bridges of Madison County came out, and then it was a movie, if anyone remembers, with Clint Eastwood and Meryl Streep, and, and people just understood. But it was a, it's, a, it's a movie and a novel about a woman having an affair when her husband, when she lives in the middle of nowhere, and she's a war bride, and her husband goes off, and Clint Eastwood, when he was much younger, comes to the door, and he's a photographer, and they have this affair that's magical. Then the husband comes back with the teenage kids, and it's life at the farm again. And everyone says, oh, my God, how touching, how moving. And yet when I interviewed real women in the beginning, Everyone was so shocked. And it's always mm. been that in stories, we understand why Anna Karenina loved the young count and her husband was a yawn. We get it. But in real life and for fiction and film, we're allowed and we, we accept it. And I'm really here to say that real women in real time are acting on their true longings. And, and that's what I'm noting. And just the difference in how our culture understands things. Well, Susan, thank you so much for joining me today. This is super, super interesting. And you have written a gazillion books, so I'm not going to list them all. (laughs) We will put them all in the show notes. Um, Is there anywhere that people can follow you? Oh, definitely. Um, Instagram and uh, Facebook and go to my website and I'm putting stuff up. So Yeah. Okay. Great. And thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening today. And I have a really big favor to ask. Could you please, wherever you're listening, just hit the five star rating for the podcast. You don't need to review it. You don't need to do anything else. Just wherever you are right now, wherever you're listening, just ding, give it five stars. It would make me so happy. Okay. She's Got Issues is produced by Gwen Sound, Kira Shine, and me, Jill Smuggler. We would love you to come back next time, which we are trying to get into a routine with and actually some regularity, but just subscribe so you get an alert and we will uh, get better at this. I promise. Thank you so much. Bye.